So I actually continue to be encouraged and amazed at how, in many ways, in this difficult time, our little Grace Life family, this mobile, organic, biblical, and generous family continues to, in reality, actually thrive. This is what we were built for, the way our church is structured. We were built to be able to be nimble and and adjust quickly, and I'm just so proud of how uh, those of you that are part of our family online or in person have been able to adjust how we worship God in this inconvenient time, which is a good segue into this week's message on the Gospel of Mark, uh, which is called An Inconvenient Storm. Now, um, before I get to that, I want you to know that while we have been inconvenienced by this, we are, as a shepherd team, connecting with medical personnel, uh, very skilled medical people, to come up with a specific, systematic um, plan of how we're going to reopen when the time comes. We don't know when that is. Uh, We believe that to be good shepherds of the people that God has given us the privilege of shepherding, that we may not necessarily be on the same time frame as the government or the state or the city. We're going to make sure whatever we do brings a huge smile to God's face. And so you'll be hearing about that at some point in the future, but we're working on a plan uh, diligently. There's a lot of work going into it, just to let you know. So we're continuing with our series on the Gospel of Mark. I've I've called it this week an inconvenient storm. Uh, So let me start off by way of introduction by saying roller coasters. I hate them. How many of you hate them out there? Okay, a bunch of, like half the band said they hate them. And how many of you love roller coasters, you sick, demented, twisted people? You people that love them, um, what would you say to us that hate them that would make us love it? Like what we, oh, if you just do this, you'll you'll like roller coasters, right? Put your hands up. Stop holding on to the bar. Just quit screaming. Don't fight it. Just go with it. Well, that's easy for you to say, but frankly for me, I hate them. I get severe anxiety just thinking about getting into the line, and as people start to fill in behind me, I know that I'm trapped, and now I have to go forward because if I bail out, everybody's going to know, Oh, he's a sissy. I'm no longer in control. And I follow the line up to the ride, and I get in. The bar, I'm OCD and extremely claustrophobic. Now this bar comes over me. And then the ride starts going, and I lean the opposite direction of the roller coaster like somehow I'm going to influence by the laws of physics where this thing goes, right? It's going to the left. I'm leaning to the right. It's going to the right. I'm leaning to the left. My, my body naturally begins to involuntarily fight what the roller coaster is doing and, and where it's taking me. I stiffen my legs. My body gets really tense. But it's pointless, really, right? Because whether I grab the bar or lift my hands in the air, whether I scream or don't scream, it doesn't matter because let's just be real. Something could go wrong, and if it does, the results will be the same whether I'm holding the bar or not. More on this later, on this sick, twisted idea of roller coasters. We'll talk about it more later. Let's read the passage today. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret, and moored to the shore, and when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. 
and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to, who, to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. So let's look at the historical part of this passage today. I want to talk about a change of plans. So after the storm, you guys remember last week I preached about this storm. The disciples got in this boat and their plan was just to go maybe a four-mile, three-mile jaunt around the bend to Bethsaida on the same side of the lake. And they were going to hang there for the evening and maybe get some rest. They probably had friends there. Everybody in the region knew each other. They, they knew their favorite watering hole, whatever. There was a pub or whatever. They're going to go chill and wait for Jesus because Jesus has told them, you know, it's time for you to go. These people are talking about making me king, and I want you to go immediately. And Jehovah, whatever plans they had before, after Jehovah, Jesus, I am. Remember he said that to them in the storm. It's amazingly quick how everything they had planned changed. <clears throat> you must wonder about the disciples and their stress level at this point. They've just gone through this thing where they were fighting the storm all night long, and then they were blown way off course. Jesus walks across the water, says, hey, buck up, stop being sissies, I am. In other words, I have been, or I am Jehovah. <clears throat> and then immediately they go right to the other side. Of the lake. It seems every time the disciples have a handle on what is happening, or they get a measure of predictability with this walking with Jesus thing, everything changes. When they set sail that night, they had plans for Bethsaida, but their plans were now irrelevant. And I imagine after that whole scene with the storm, there is a renewed sense of surrender as I am, or Jesus, what he has revealed to them the night before. <clears throat> and when the storm comes up and I am, or Jesus, we talked about that last week, walks on the waves and declares that he's Jehovah, anything that they had of any thought of human control is laughably obsolete. And those events obliterated their earthly plans to go to Bethsaida, which were reasonable, good plans. But they have been forced a new unplanned destination. And that is on the opposite side of the lake in a region called Gennesaret. And that's their course change. Then they have these fresh fields, though. See, Gennesaret is on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, the opposite side of Bethsaida, and the main town has the same name. It's an agricultural area. And so far, I am, Jesus, Jehovah, and the disciples haven't been there yet. Never been to Gennesaret. But the stories of who they are and what all they have done, remember the disciples, they've even done miracles at this point, all those stories have been heard. And as they begin this unplanned ministry in this region they had no intention of being in, news starts to spread of their arrival, of this rabbi Jesus and his miracle-working disciples. <clears throat> they had heard about the miracles, especially the healings that I am and his disciples had performed. 
But to this point, they haven't really ever heard I am, Jehovah, speak, or his disciples preach the message of the kingdom of heaven. It's all brand new. It's a whole new region, Gennesaret, with fresh ears, fresh hearts, and people with tremendous needs. An opportunity for ministry that would otherwise never have been realized or available had their plans for Bethsaida not been crushed by a storm. And these fresh opportunities, as they walk throughout the region, and people recognize them and see them, and they begin to see, hey, we've heard about this group of guys. Here is a chance for us to get a piece of the healing pie. And they're parading out of the woodworks, Everywhere the disciples and I am, Jesus, Jehovah, goes, they lay their people on bed sick in their path. They're doing whatever they can do to get a chance to get the sick in the path of I am. And Mark mentions people touching his garment, the edge of Jesus' garment being a disciple or a rabbi, would have had a tassel. The tassels were on the edge of their garments to remind Jews of the Ten Commandments and the law. And so what they're touching is actually a reminder of the law. Again, going back to this, we saw this before with the woman who had been healed when Jesus was on the way to healing um, Darius' daughter. The superstition of believing, just touching the garment of a powerful person brings you blessing. The interesting thing is, though, of course, these people would have never had the opportunity for the healing if not for the storm. If not for this storm who had disrupted disrupted their plans to go around the bend, now they're across the sea. So that's the history of the passage. I want to talk about the spiritual. I am in charge. By the way, from this point on, I'm going to stop explaining that I am as Jesus. If you heard the sermon last week, you know that Jesus says, I am. It is him declaiming to be God. So when I refer to I am from now on, you know who I'm talking about. First, I want you to see there are no surprises here. As they got into that boat for Bethsaida the night before, the disciples were very comfortable with their life, even though it was a different type of life. I mean, they were working miracles. Their rabbi is a popular man. He he provides food for the crowds. They have been given the same power to heal people that that he has. They're preaching. People want to hear them. So now they're popular as well as their rabbi. It is the pinnacle, the height of their ability to influence culture. And it is amazing how something so big was about to happen, and they are completely unaware of the fact that this storm is going to completely rework their ministry plan. But Jesus had just sent them away from the feeding of the 5,000 where all the people are shouting, Make him king! Make him king! You know, the disciples wanted to do that themselves, and the Scripture says Jesus was annoyed by it. And we can infer by the language that we see in last week's text that when Jesus said, get in the boat and leave, he was a little bit frustrated. It was a direct thing. He said, look, get in the boat, get out of here now. 
I'll meet you somewhere else. I'll meet you in Bethsaida. Just go. I imagine the disciples were a little bit annoyed getting in the boat. But we had plans to stay here, Jesus. As a matter of fact, these plans might look pretty good. This make him king stuff. So they make some remarkably simple plans. They plot their course to Bethsaida. They intend to go there, chill a bit, meet up with Jesus later. But the disciples encounter something they didn't plan for in last week's passage. That storm. That storm that throws them way off course. Do you think they went in and they said, you know what? Jesus wants us to leave this place where he just fed the 5,000, which is actually 25,000. They want to make him king. And now he's going to send us in a boat to Bethsaida. Tell you what, let's go ahead, let's get in the boat, let's set a course for Bethsaida, and on the way, let's just get blown way off course. That'll be so much fun. Think about it. Who even wants to have their simplest plans disrupted? Right? Who wants inconvenience or hardship? But when it happens, they're stunned. This storm is crazy. But Jesus wasn't surprised. Because as we see the very next day, all of it fit perfectly within his sovereign plan to love and care and heal the people of Gennesaret. And there were certainly lessons learned by the disciples. It was a night that was frightening, unexpected, unplanned, something they probably would have avoided had they had the opportunity to. But as we learned last week, I am intended to make plain to them who he is and what his plans really were. In his sovereign power, he knew the storm would provide the moment of humility and reliance and teachability that they would need, not only to believe in who he is, but for the task to come, which would start in a place they had no intention of going when they first got in the boat the night before. He knew that disrupting their plans would be a small price for them to pay. Think about this. As annoyed and then as scared as they were, their uncomfort was a small price to pay to help them grasp the truth of who he really is and what he really came to do, which was, among many things, Gennesaret's blessing. The teacher moment was only one benefit of their plans being smashed. As a result, Gennesaret receives this huge blessing. Jesus had sheep there, he needed to heal. He had sheep to call. He had a kingdom to expand. He had people to save. Something that wouldn't have happened if the crowd had made him king or the disciples had landed in Bethsaida. Gennesaret does not know about the storm that just took place the night before. Oh, they may know there was a storm but they don't know about the impact that it had on the disciples and their plans. All they know is that Jesus and the disciples are here in their town, and they can heal the sick. This is one of the many examples of well-laid plans 
being disrupted by the hand of God for the benefit of others. I have another example for you in case this is just something I'm pulling out of thin air. It actually happened later on after Jesus ascended and the disciples were actually doing kingdom work. They're making kingdom plans. They're doing good things. They're saying, we're going to go to the gospel, take the gospel here. We're going to preach there. We're going to do this. And here's an example in Acts 16. Look at this. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they wanted to go to Asia to preach the gospel, but the Holy Spirit says, nah, you're going to go to Phrygia and Galatia instead. Don't know exactly how that happened. Maybe it was another storm. Maybe it was political. We don't know. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. What's wrong with Bithynia? They need to hear the gospel, right? Why can't we go to Bithynia? But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. We don't know why. We don't know how he did it. Maybe he used another storm. Maybe he used, I don't know, a pandemic. We don't know what it was he used to keep them from going into Bithynia. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. This is the third example in just this passage where Jesus says, No, I understand your plans. They're good. They're okay. But that's not what I want you to do right now. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called him. See, it happens all the time. We make good plans, and then we have to adjust them. So let's talk about the personal side of this. This is where we're going to bring all of this together for you today. I want to talk about disrupted plans. So human plans. You know what a great example of this is this sermon. Let me explain. You guys know here normally at this time I'll put up a picture of my, you know, tremendously deft and incredibly creative Sunday sermon previews during the week, right? I put it up there, take a picture. There is no Sunday sermon preview this week. Because my plans were disrupted this week. I got really sick. It was so sick, I thought for sure, oh boy. I've got the Rona. And my simple, normal Thursday, Friday sermon prep schedule was totally stood on its ear. In fact, I was certain that I would be self-isolating for the next several weeks. So I began to make plans on Thursday or Friday not to preach. So I feel like my plans for this sermon, honestly, are just so all over the place. So disjointed, and I've been feeling so out of order. I'm a little bit uncomfortable with exactly how smooth and well thought out my notes are. I got tested, by the way. I'm negative. But some people, like me, we make plans all the time. It's natural. It's our human attempt at controlling outcomes. It's our human attempt to manage expectations. <clears throat> in our life. Some people plan every flippin' detail. Some are more seat-of-your-pants kind of planners, but either way, they are plans. Plans large and small. 
Plans from our last will and testament to plans for lunch after this live stream. We make career plans, family plans, plans with friends, financial plans, hair appointments. There are spiritual plans and religious plans centered around where we're going to spend eternity. Even, we, even when we make kingdom plans, they get infected by our own personal agenda. And it's very extremely difficult to differentiate what are actually kingdom plans and human plans. And sometimes we can't figure it out. Naturally, we hope our plans aren't interrupted, the ones we're making. In fact, we so arrogantly, selfishly pray, God, please make our plans work. We just assume that what we've planned, God has to be okay with. And because of that natural stance that we take, we find ourselves constantly fighting the storm. So these storms come that disrupt our plans like the disciples' plans. They had no desire to be in Gennesaret and see thousands of people healed. They were going to Bethsaida. And storms come, they disrupt our plans, it creates crisis. You know what crisis is? Sometimes big, sometimes small. Crisis really is nothing more than this. Your plans got screwed up. Something you didn't see or plan for happened, and now you have to react to it. That's really basically the layman's definition of crisis. But nothing better than a crisis to remind us who's actually in control of the storm. Remember how hard the disciples were fighting all night long against the storm to get back on course? No, no, no. We, we got to go there. We're going to do whatever we got. No, the storm is not going to stop us. Oh my gosh, there's a guy walking across the water. Who is it? It's a demon. Oh, it's I am. Okay, where do you want me to go? It's a great image for how hard we fight to protect our earthly plans, even our kingdom plans. It's just a natural instinct. I love Isaiah 50, uh, 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. See, storms create circumstances beyond our control. Circumstances that disrupt even the best laid, well thought out plans. And your first reaction, if you're honest, when your plans are disrupted by a storm, whether it's a natural storm or a human storm, ranges from first maybe annoyance, frustration, depression, oh, it never works out for me, anger. Who are you to not allow my plans to work out? Who are you to get in the way of what I wanted to see happen? Maybe sometimes our reaction is fear. Oh no, what's going to happen now? If this plan didn't work, what plan will? And first, what we do, for, if we're honest, what we'll do is we'll look for someone or something to blame. Maybe nature, maybe a friend. A family member? An employer? Maybe we blame government. That would be fun. Or a politician. Or, better yet, maybe we just decide to blame God. 
How could you disrupt my perfectly good plans? I had it all worked out. And some of these plans were even Jesus-like plans. And now you've ruined my plans. You know, this pandemic is an extremely disruptive storm for all of us. And some of you may not realize it yet. Oh, you might realize it to some degree, but I don't think you fully grasp this fact. It has blown all of your personal plans, short-term and long-term, way off course. Even if you can't see it. But perhaps those old plans are church plans, family plans, personal plans. Maybe those old plans weren't as great as we thought. I mean, they clearly didn't fit into God's kingdom plan, right? Otherwise, God wouldn't have allowed them to be disrupted. Now, we are in a situation where we must do things in ways our old plan would have never allowed us to do or think. Ways that probably will end up being far better ways that I might add. This storm has forced us to spend our money, our time, and our resources in ways we never would have even thought of being good before. I mean, it just didn't fit into our plans. Like this live stream, for example. I've been against live streaming from the beginning. Did you know that? You know why? Because I didn't want to give anybody an excuse to not be here. It's important to be together. And it is. Don't get me wrong. And, and when we do down the road, however long it is, start to open up, I pray that you are hungry for fellowship and you want to be together. But I never wanted to live stream because I didn't want people to not be here. Well, that was a bad plan. <laughs> and the storm revealed it. So now let's talk about our current plan, shall we? Start off with this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. And this slide will be up the rest of the time. I'd like for you to think it's because I have a really good plan, but I just didn't know how to end the sermon. So this slide is going to be up. Ready? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me instead of our own plan, and find me when you seek me with all your heart. <clears throat> so you remember that roller coaster introduction that I gave earlier? Well, if you think about it, a life serving Jesus and walking with Jesus, with I am, it's a roller coaster ride. It's one that we must cede absolute total control to him. <clears throat> You might not like it. As a matter of fact, there are times you are absolutely going to hate it. <clears throat> but if we don't know what's going to happen, the only place to put our trust is in someone who does. Before this current storm that we're facing now, we had many plans. Some long-term, some short-term, but let's just, let's just be blunt here. We are now in the midst of a storm, and the fact is, its impact is just starting. We have no idea what it's going to look like. 
And so what is our response? What are we doing? We're making plans. <laughs> plans to get back to normal. Maybe we can get back to the old way we did things. <clears throat> Once this storm has passed, everything will be just like it was four months ago. Look, I'm not saying that we shouldn't make plans. Certainly we should. But only with understanding that I am has the final say. So we have two options as we go forward here. We can fight for our old plans to get back, to get things under control, to bring things back under our sphere of influence, to begin to control the impact and the expectations that we have. We can fight to see the things we thought were so good before. We can just fight like heck against the storm and say, no, we're going to stick to the way we've always done things because that's the way we planned to do it. Or we can ask this question. Is something bigger happening here? Is it possible that God is up to something? Maybe he has a bigger purpose, maybe a better plan. Is there something he wants from us? Is it possible that our old plans would have led us away from a fresh field, like Gennesaret, with new opportunities? Maybe he's directing us across the sea, places we would have never gone as a church. Look, we had some exceptionally, all right, I'm just going to put this away. I'm just, I'm just not going to use the, the rest of the notes that I had here, and I'm just going to just kind of speak straight off. So we had some exceptionally good plans that I was very proud of when we started Grace Life. You know, pretty ingenious, mobile, organic, biblical, generous. Well, they sound great, and there's nothing wrong with them. They're still in place. Those are our core values, and started thinking through things, and I was very comfortable with these plans. Just four months ago, you know, we were doing church very differently. And I begin to come to the realization, I don't know for how long, but the way we were worshiping four months ago may never be back. Oh, elements of it will be back. Some things will return to the way they were, but a lot of things weren't or won't. We just don't know. And so we're making plans, and I understand we've got to do that. But I'm just being real with you. Like, I don't want to waste time fighting the storm if God is using it to say, you know, the plans you had may not have been the best ones. And it's not just for grace life. I think the church in America is having a lot of its plans altered. Because the way we have been set up to do kingdom work, kind of like when Acts 16, where they wanted to go here and do this, but Jesus said, nah, you're not going there. You're going to go here. I think it's pretty evident to me that just like the disciples had no plan of going to Gennesaret, like they did in today's passage, there are things we had no intention of doing as a church. And I think our God has been saying, you know, that might have been your kingdom plan, but it's not working for me. And so, 
I'm going to allow this storm to change you and throw your plans way off course. So, on a personal level, I want you to start considering the fact that you may have a lot of plans that you're still fighting for. Maybe some of them will still be okay. And a lot of them won't. And just like when you get on a roller coaster and you can't fight it, I mean, if you're not following Jesus, then you can do whatever you want. Fight for whatever plans you want. But when it comes to following Jesus, you might have to hold your plans with a really loose hand and say, God, these are my plans. It's what I intend to do. But in the end, I'll do whatever you want. And if you bring a storm to my life, which he surely has, that blows our plans way off course, I'm listening. Help me. Bring me wisdom, discernment, people that we can talk to, plans, ideas, give us creative thoughts. But in the end, Jesus, whatever plan we come up with, we are certainly aware of the fact that that may not even be what you want. So we're going to let go of the bar. We're going to lean into the curves. And we're going to let you take control of how we do church. That's what the disciples had to do after that frightful night and then ending up at Gennesaret the next morning. And that's what we're going to do once this terrible storm of this pandemic passes. Heavenly Dad, we, we are very good at fighting to keep our plans on course. Sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes it does take stick to or whatever. But when it comes to those of us who are seeking to follow you, we need to be able to hear from you when you say, you know, those plans weren't terrible, but they're not the plans I have for you. And so, Father, I just pray that as I think about this verse in Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you. Lord, we just want those plans. Whatever plans that you have for us, yes, we're going to try to work because we're humans and you've given us intelligence, so we're not robots, but we, Lord, we are just hungry and begging for you to give us the plans you have for us going forward because this storm has thrown us way off course. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me. And Lord, if that is the only reason you've brought this storm, so that we would do a better, more efficient, more purposeful job of calling on you, so be it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for joining us again this week. Band, you did a, an amazing job again. We love you. We miss you. I'm glad we still get to connect in different ways through Grace Life TV and the live stream on Sunday morning. The podcasts are still up. The YouTube channel still going. All those things we're doing, we're going to keep doing it. I love the Bible study, the Zoom Bible studies you're all doing. Keep it up. Do some great stuff. But we're also thinking about new ways that we're going to do ministry going forward. There's going to be different things. Some of the old stuff we've loved and always done, we may not be able to do again. We don't know. All I know is this. We are going to call upon God and say, whatever plans you have for us, 
those are the ones we want. Love you guys, and if you need anything, let us know. We've got your back. Have a great week.